0: You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. I'm glad to be with you all. My name's Travis. I'm usually over in Manhattan. We're going to be looking at Job today, but first, I want to, uh, we're in the season of Lent, And I I know that we've been talking a lot as a church in both locations about suffering, but I want for the purposes of our conversation today to just kind of define what suffering is. Um, And we're going to define that as any time that you are out of control, now, I know that this is obviously nuanced and there's going to be a big spectrum of suffering if we say that anytime you're out of control, you're suffering. But for for instance, if you are um, on the train and it goes express while you're listening to your headphones and you look up and you're like 25 blocks north of where you're supposed to be, um, that is a form of, that's somewhere on the spectrum of suffering, right? Or yesterday I went to Target on a Saturday. I mean, I I... I went to Target on a Saturday, like I should have, I, before I left, I was about to tear my clothes and rub ashes in my hair and curse the day that I was born from my mother's womb. But this actually happened, I'm not kidding, there was a huge bottleneck, it was the one up in Harlem, I live on the Upper East Side, and there was this huge bottleneck and people just started lining up in one line. Well little known fact about Target, there's actually, it's not like fairway where they tell you like, you go here, you go here, you go here. It's like, it's, it's, there's nine lines and they're all open so you just go get in a line. Well, we were polite and we got in the one line that was forming and we figured we would get up close to the front and then everyone would just kind of, you know, be civilized, fully functioning, adult human beings. However, this is not what happened. We were all in a line and there was a couple, just let me paint a picture here. Not, this isn't a value judgment. I'm just telling you what I saw. There was a couple probably mid-50s. Uh, the, the woman was in a full-length black fur coat with sunglasses on, um, and her, her partner who was with her um, looked like Jack Nicholson, right? Like straight up, also wearing sunglasses. And so they are sitting there and they're in line and everything's fine. And then someone realizes, oh, we can just start go, we can go around and just start getting in line. And so people start going around this one line that the people had formed in unison and decided this is the way that the, the line shall be formed on this day. And, and other people were like, no, we will rebel against the man and we will go form our own lines. Well, this guy gets Indignant about this to the point where his face starts getting red and he starts yelling at the people that are going by and he's like, "There's one line. There's one line." I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating at all. He is yelling and then he's calling on the cashiers to come out and to restore order to this chaos and he's like, "Please, someone! They're cutting in line. I've been standing here for a half hour. There's one line." And he's I mean, he's turning beet red. And then he starts insulting people. And then he starts, I mean, he is having a public meltdown because he is waiting in line at Target. This was like the most first world problem moment I have ever seen in my entire life. And so my six-year-old daughter is watching all this go down and people are starting to get really upset and people are yelling at each other. And I think it's gonna turn into like a riot. It was like the shopping equivalent of like storming the beaches of Normandy or something. It was just bullets flying all around. I I didn't know if we were going to make it out of there alive, and we did. We made it out of there alive, and we're in the cab on the way home, and Ava looks up at me, and she was like, that guy's face was red, and I was like, yeah, it was. That's crazy, right? She was like, I'm not saying I wanted to punch him in the face, but I did want to call him a doofus. (laughs) I love my kid. She is hilarious, but suffering is any time that we find ourselves out of control, and it hurts. I mean, it can be, sure, waiting in line at Target or the train goes express or it starts raining and you can't catch a cab or there's surge pricing on Uber or whatever. Or it can be you get a diagnosis back from the doctor that you never saw coming. Or it can be coming home one day and your partner, or your spouse, your boyfriend or girlfriend is taking all their stuff out. Or it can be showing up to work and being asked to come into your boss's office and then being asked to leave. Suffering is when we find ourselves out of control, and I think that that is why Job resonates with human beings so much, on a profound level, 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 and level, a level and a level. But many, And many scholars believe that it's the oldest book in the Bible, even older than Genesis, And that's appropriate because as a pastor in the course of my ministry career, the age old question, the question I get more than anything when people are struggling with their faith is why do good people suffer? Why is there pain and suffering in this world? And when we look at Job, we see that that is the case. And we see in this story that no matter how good life gets, no matter how many things you have to celebrate, calamity is right around the corner in either direction of the timeline of your life. You are either suffering, or you have suffered, or you will suffer. And that is an empirical, historical, well known fact. It's part of being a human being, and that sucks. You know why it sucks? Because it hurts. And hurting sucks. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so Job has a lot of questions because he's hurting a lot. And, And just like what we tend to do whenever we are experiencing suffering, whenever control is taken away from us, we are looking for answers, explanations as to why we're experiencing this. Why do we want explanations? So that we can fix it and avoid it in the future. But we look at Job, this guy who's righteous, he's more righteous than anyone, and he has this terrible run of awful events befall his life. And the explanation that we get in the beginning of the book isn't because it was his fault, it was because God and the devil used him as a human roulette table because they're bored one afternoon is how it, it seems, it reads on, on the surface level. And what we can see is that if righteousness isn't, the reason for suffering or a lack of righteousness isn't the reason for suffering. And if everybody, if Job suffers and everyone's going to suffer, there are a lot of questions that well up inside of us. And Job has a lot of questions too. And you look at the text that I was assigned today, it was like five chapters at the end of Job. And basically it can be summed up Like this. Job looking at God and saying, God, why am I suffering? And God looking at Job and saying, you aren't God. And that's it. Like, that's the whole conversation over and over and over again. And that sucks. And we don't find an answer to why Job suffers, just that he does. So this story that we find, in this oldest story in this collection of really old stories in the Bible, tells us one thing. It tells us that suffering is real, and the reason why suffering is real is this unsearchable mystery. And you might say, yeah, but look at the text that we read today. At the very end of the book, there's this resolution, right? I'll read it again, starting in 42 verse 10. It says, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. And when he had prayed for his friends, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. And then to him, all of his brothers and sisters and all whom had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted comforted him for the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. That's an interesting sentence. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. So now Job is blinging, right? Things are looking up. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 2,000 female donkeys. And he also had 7 sons and 3 daughters. And he called the name of his first daughter Jemima, who would then go on to start a maple syrup tycoon. <laughs> I'm an idiot. And all of his daughters were beautiful. And the, the name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, uh, Karen Hapakuk, or something. And in all of the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. He had so much to go around, even the girls get some inheritance. And after Job lived 140 years, he saw his sons and his sons' sons, four generations. And then Job died, an old man full of days. And that's great. But do you really think that Job is walking out of that whole experience for the first 40 chapters of calamity? Is he walking out of that without a limp? Even if you persevere through suffering, it still leaves a mark. Something has still been lost. The pain has still been felt. So what in the world is the point? Why suffering? And in order to address this issue and have this conversation, I want to talk about three stories that all of us share in common. And I'm not talking about specific stories. I'm talking about the stories that are specific to each of us. And the first one is, and stay with me, this will make sense in a second, The first story I wanna talk about is my story. This level of reality that is only my level of reality. The the part of my life that only I have full access to. Each of us in this room has an individual story. We have a hometown, an alma mater, a social media profile. We have a long list of triumphs and hurts that come together to shape who we are in a unique way that's unique to our own individual experience. And that's true of everyone in this room. But this is a pretty new phenomenon, this individual story where we see the world from an individual perspective that's come into shape probably only in the last 50 years or so in the Western world. And there's a lot of good that comes from it. And the biblical narrative, the story of God, the story of Jesus, honors this story, honors your, your story, honors your individual experience. So it's a good thing. But it's not the whole story. It's not everything. And you can spend your whole life working on your individual story and you can become a very productive and good individual. But you will never be a whole individual because there's another story that we're all participating in. And that's our story. We're all participating in our story. This is where most people throughout human history lived out their entire lives. Your tribe. Your people, your ethnicity, your trade, your religion, your shared experiences that shape the individual that you are. We, the people. The story of my people. You've heard these phrases before. This is a big, important part of our developing outlook and worldview. And most people derive their last names, right? Because of the stuff that their tribe, their family, their guild did in their ancestry. Like, a you know... Walker. I guess they walked. Or Smith was some kind of metal worker. I don't know what an Eadsman was. I still haven't figured that out, but I'm sure it was really important. I think we, I come from a long line of models. I'm not sure. But we are tied to a tribe even today. We're a part of a community, and we have a story together with our community. We're not only individuals our individuality is informed by a bigger collective story. And this is beautiful and it's important, but it's not the complete story. Even our story falls short of making us whole and creates if we concentrate too much on our story, on the story of our people, on the story of our tribe, on the story of our collective beliefs, we become dogmatic ideologues, right? This is why we have so many groups of people who are so afraid of having their identities ripped away from them by other groups of people. This is why there's 40,000 denominations of Christianity, because everyone has a predetermined set of truths that that they've put their stock in, and if you come in and challenge those truths, then you're challenging my identity. This is why we have MSNBC and Fox News. This is why we have the most insane political stuff going on I've ever seen seen in my entire life. It's pretty entertaining, but let's not kid ourselves. This stuff is crazy, right? That's why your Facebook threads go like 400 comments deep whenever you post anything that challenges somebody else's preconceived ideals. And when religion goes bad, it's because it stops at this level of meaning. It disregards the personal experience and it stays in this area of groupthink. Bad religion forgets about my story and obsesses with the ideal of the group. That is, instead of looking inward and allowing our personal experience to inform and shape us, we get stuck in this predetermined set of answers to all of life's mysteries, and then we disregard anything that we don't have answers to. And we see this in Job, right? Job's friends are certain that they have the answers to why he is suffering, and if he would just listen to them, then his suffering would go away. He's clearly sinned. Someone is at fault here because our story, the story of Job's people, say that people suffer when they make God angry. But as we've already discussed, that answer is no good. And it doesn't even fit into the story of Job. He didn't do anything to make God angry. And so my story is good. Our individual stories are good. And our story is good. It's beautiful. The collective story is beautiful. Both the individual and the communal story, they're both recognized and honored in the biblical narrative, in the gospel, but problems arise for us when we only live in one of those stories or the other. But when we pay attention to both stories, our eyes are drawn up to an even bigger picture, something infinite. I wanna call that the story. And what I mean by these story is that there are certain patterns of reality that are always true, always true. The story is sprinkled throughout all of human history and it transcends any of the tribes that we are coming out of. It's even bigger than any one religion, it's bigger than any one denomination. And Richard Rohr, who is my man crush with a foxy silver beard, in a nice robe. He's a Franciscan monk. He explains it like this. He says, for example, talking about the story, forgiveness always heals. It does not matter if you are Hindu or Buddhist or Catholic or Jewish. Forgiveness is one of the patterns that is always true. It is part of the story. There is no specifically Catholic way to feed the hungry. Or steward the earth. Love is love, even if the motivation might be different. And when we look at the story of Job, we see that there are things that patterns that are always true. Not only in this in this story, but also in the story of Jesus, also throughout the rest of the arc of narrative of Scripture, and even in our own lives. And just as much as love is one of those patterns that is always true, that always compels us, and just as much as compassion wells up inside of us and and points our eyes up to something more infinite, just as much as charity and generosity and diversity stir something in us that is transcendent, that's bigger than what we can put words to and explain, one of the patterns that is always true in life, a part of the story is suffering, is pain. And this is the crossroads that a lot of people come to in their faith. Because if we can't make sense of why it is a true pattern, why a part of the story, the cosmic reality, is pain and suffering, then we have a problem. Richard Rohr says, unless we can find meaning for human suffering, that God is somehow in it and can even use it for good, humanity is in major trouble. And the brilliance of the biblical narrative is that it compels us to recognize the lessons that we can learn from our individual story and our pain and our suffering is included in that. You think about this. The man that we worship as God incarnate many times the form that we worship him in is a naked, bleeding, convicted criminal hanging on a torture device. And so we see that pain and suffering are are present. It's a pattern that's always true, but we also see that even God enters into suffering. Even the God that created everything sees that entering into suffering can transform the world. And there are really only two responses to suffering. We either transmit it or we are transformed by it. We allow God to transform us. We can stand in line and get red-faced and insult a 17-year-old Target employee because we're, you know, inconvenienced and out of control. And that's probably... A transmitting of some other suffering. Or we can allow God to transform us in our suffering. We are a part of a bunch of individual stories who are part of a collective story that ties into this cosmic story that is encapsulated in this beautiful story of God becoming willing to suffer because he saw that there was good in it. And because of the suffering of Jesus, the entire human race was given a new perspective on how to look at God. In the Old Testament, and even in the story of Job, if God showed up, that was a scary thing. The most frequent commandment in all of Scripture is do not be afraid because if God or one of his messengers showed up, you're probably gonna die. Suffering was because we have done something wrong until Jesus comes along and completely flips the script and gives us this cross that is like a cosmic me too to everyone who has ever felt pain. And because of that, because we see that the God of the universe can use pain and suffering in order to transform the world, to start a movement of reconciliation and peace and justice and beauty that has picked up momentum and ran to the edges of the earth for the last couple of thousand years. We can have faith that God can also transform our suffering and invite us into the same story, the story, the story. And if we allow Christ to enter into our pain, if we hold on to our pain, gaze into it, and trust that God is with us in it which if the gospel tells us anything, it, t- it tells us that we can trust that God is willing to be in it with us, then we can be transformed and we can participate in the great transformation of this world. And that's the story that we're all a part of. Or we can bat away our suffering. We can stiff arm it. We can avoid it. We can try to find an answer on how to get rid of it and we can just pass it on to the next generation, which is the underlying story of all of human history. We suffer, we resist it, and we pass that suffering on. I would like to be a part of a different story. So here's what I want us to do. As uh, the band comes up in a second, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray because I wanna pray, not because we need a transitional period in the, in the service. Um, but after I pray, I, you, I, I love this thing that you guys have been doing during the communion time with the, with the tags. And if you haven't been here, neither have I. So this is both of our first times. But what I want you to write on the tag that's on your seat today is the pain, the wound in your life that has caused you to transmit suffering to other people that you would like to give to God, to open up to God to, so that he can enter in, so that Jesus can enter into that and transform it and transform you so that you can be a person of peace, so that you can be a representation of Jesus and not transmit and pass along the suffering any longer. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the fact that we are all um, individuals who walk in here from different points of the social, economic, spiritual, religious, ethnic, cultural spectrum. We all have these individual stories and you are so gracious that you tie us into a, a community. And I thank you that this community ties us into something even bigger. And God, all that we know, we don't know necessarily why bad things happen. But maybe that's not the right question. Maybe the right question is what can we do with it when bad things happen? So God, we open our lives, we open our hearts, we open our minds up to the gospel of Jesus that says that the God of the universe is not angry. That you suffer with us. And that our suffering doesn't have to be for naught but that it can be transformative not only for us but also for the world around us. Make us more like you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.